All right. Good morning to you. We are very glad that you are here today. If you're visiting with us, thank you for being here. If you're a regular attender, thank you for being here. And if you belong here as a member, we're glad you came too. Thank you for being here. God is good. And i got to say thank you to Dave Valentine for that sharing of majesty. Amen. God is good. I'm telling you what. Thrills my heart every time he uses that talent uh, and blesses our hearts here. There's nothing like a clear, crisp trumpet to get your attention. And that's what's going to happen, by the way, one day when Jesus comes back and the trumpet is going to sound and we're going home. We're going home then. Well, listen, we are smack dab in the beginning of, middle of, a series that we're calling Oz. And I bet you figured that out from the video. And today, and today we want to continue the thought of home. Home. Now again, let's go back. You know, last week in Oz, here's what we, here's what we saw happen. We saw um, a twister. I told you my favorite part of the movie was the twister, the, just the power of it, the destructive power of it, uh, how, how it enthralled me as an eight or nine year old, uh, even back then. And so it really just thrilled me. But then we tied that in with the thought of what Jesus said in John 10, 10, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And just like, just like that twister killed, t- killed and destroyed, so also then Satan does. And so we left it with that. And we, we left it with a young man who, who had enough of daddy and his authority and had enough of his older brother and, and his, you know, his arrogance. And believe me, there was arrogance. We'll probably touch on that on a Wednesday night, the older brother. And so there's that arrogance there. He finally had enough and asked for his share of the estate and decided to leave. And one day, he just started walking. You remember the movie Forrest Gump? And I'm not sure I ever saw that movie all the way through or not, to be honest with you. But it was a blockbuster hit back about 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. But, but one day, the, you know, in, that, in, the Bible, in that movie, it says, One day, four started running, and he just kept on running, I guess, for years in the movie. Well, this young man started walking, and he kept right on walking till he found himself in a far country. In a far country. And when he got there, he had all this wealth, all these resources, all these funds. And basically, he took his funds and he had fun. He partied away all that he had. And that's where we want to pick up. Again, I know we're still going back, but I really didn't have a lot of time at the end to talk about these verses. So we're going to jump off at Luke 15, 14. And and we want to look and see how do you get back home. And to get that, you've got to go back these couple of verses at the end of last week's message. Because the Bible says there in Luke 15, 14, but when he had spent all, there are three absolutes here, when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. There are three, when you decided to walk away, when you walk away from God, um, there are three absolutes when you get to that far country that you can take to the bank. And the first one is this, that you will spend it all. You will spend it all. You see, the far country is a taker and not a giver. The far country is a taker and not a giver. Um, The far country, and and imagine, I like to imagine in my mind's eye, a distance from God. A distance from God. A distance that you, what you hold dear and near to you, that distance, that far country, it takes and takes and takes 
and it never, never gives back. No matter, oh, the liar will come, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he will put you in the kill zone with his lies, and he'll tell you your life would be so much better if you were just away from God. If some preacher didn't stand up every Sunday morning and tell you how you ought to live, your life would be better. If you had a better wife, if you had a better husband, if you had a better job, a better career, a better car, a better house, better, 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 your life would be complete. And you find yourself in that land after giving and giving and giving, and you'll find out that you're going to spend it all. And it's not ironic, it's not an accident where it says, after he had spent it all, there arose a severe famine in that land. You see, mark this one down as an absolute. Famines are frequent in the far country. Famines are frequent in the far country. Things get lean in the far country country. When you give things away that are core values of yours, when you get to the far country, you're going to find it's a lean land. It's a land of famine. Famine. And may I just say this? I don't think it is an accident or coincidence that as soon as he spent all, a famine came. Can I, can I tell you something that maybe you won't like? I don't know. But here's what I believe, and, and I believe it based on the authority of the Word of God, is that famine was not an accident. It was directed by God. It was directed by God. You say, well, Dwayne, what kind of God is it that would send famines in my life? (laughs) I can answer that one for you. The kind of God that loves you a lot. I mean, what kind of parent is a parent who disciplines their children? A good parent. Bad dads don't discipline. Bad moms don't discipline. Bad dads just say, hey, grow like you want to, go like you want to, and good luck at the end. But a parent who really loves and cares their children will discipline their children. And I believe God specifically sent this famine into this man's life at this particular time. And I will tell you that if you're a child of his, or if you're, he's trying to call you into relationship with him, don't be surprised if difficulties come. But they're not given to punish or because God doesn't like you. They're given because he loves you a lot, a lot. So, so after he spent all, this, this famine came and, and the desired result is number three, the, the third absolute. He began to be in want. When he got there in that far land and he spent all and the famine came, it just wasn't long before a Hunger came, no pun intended. A hunger came. A hunger came um, for, for home. A hunger came for dad. A, a hunger came for the things he used to have. And that was the intended result. God sent a famine, because you know it. Come on, come on. If you've ever, if you've ever walked away from God and come back, Somewhere in that story probably is some kind of a famine. Traditionally and, and, and usually, we seek God not when things are going really, really, really well. We seek God when things are not going so well. Because it's then that we realize, I can't handle this. And if I don't get some help, I'm going to die. And so we seek God. We start hungering for God. 
So he was, he was emotionally spent. He was spiritually spent. He was physically spent. This famine comes along, and he all of a sudden starts to be in one. And I want you to see this. This is really important. This was his first opportunity to go home. He didn't take it. Even though he was in want, even though there's a hunger starting to burn in his heart for a home, he doesn't turn toward home. You know why? Wasn't quite ready. You know, can I stop and tell you something has nothing to do with the sermon, but it's funny. This is the problem of being 63. So I'm studying for this message this morning. And last night, I wrote the word toothpick down. And I'm studying this morning going, why did I write toothpick down? And, and I'm just studying. I'm, I'm going, because I hide it in blue. Illustrations are blue. Toothpick in blue. Illustration. Why did I write toothpick down? I remembered. <laughs> because, you see, if you take a cake and you want to know if it's done you stick a toothpick in it. Judy taught me this. And if the toothpick comes up clean, you got yourself a cake. If it comes up with gooey on it, you got yourself half a cake. Well, when it came this first, when it came this first time, this first opportunity, the cake was half baked. Because when the time came, now listen, when the time came to go home, it was important he really wanted to go home. God wanted to make sure he was in a position where all he wanted was to be back with the Father. And so, and so he didn't go. Instead, he goes and joins himself to a citizen, became a bond servant, if you will, and that citizen sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And, and it got to the point, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. So, so this guy sends him out to feed the pigs, and he's looking. This is when you know you're near the bottom. The pig food looked appetizing. He was so hungry, the slop that the pigs were eating started looking like good food. And no one gave him anything. That's how it is in the far country. Again, I think last week I talked about the fact in the King James, it says no one cared for his soul. No one cared if he lived or died. No one cared if he succeeded or failed. No one cared what happened to him. And that's how it is in the far country. Satan offers you everything. Just give it to me, he says, and I will give you everything you want. He told Jesus, just fall down and worship me one time and I'll give you everything. Well, that's how it is in the far country. No one cared for his soul. As this hunger is, as he begins to be in want, this hunger develops, and he starts saying, "How about home? How about home?" On February twenty eighth, twenty twelve, Bob and Mick, Mickey, Pavlonis, Pavlonis, went to bed. Their world was okay. Somewhere in the middle of the night, around 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, on February the 29th, 2012, a tornado warning was issued. People began waking up as they heard the wind blowing. 
Mickey and Bob were two of those people. And Bob did the thing that men do. Women do the right thing, and men do the stupid thing. Mickey went, I think, to the bathroom and maybe in the basement. She went to a safe place. And she looked around, and there's no Bob. And you know what Bob was doing? Yeah, sure. Bob was in the foyer next to the front door, fixing to open the door and go outside and see what was going on. Told you men are stupid. So about that time, the terrible noise and the rush of the wind shakes their house, and he looks up and realizes the ceiling looks a little bit different. It's gone. So he's standing in the foyer, he looks up, and the entire roof and inner ceiling of their house is gone. He's standing in the midst of four walls with no roof. Fortunately, he wasn't injured, and neither was Mickey. Eight people lost their lives that night, that morning. So, I don't want to take too long on this illustration, but I really want you to get it. Uh, the bottom line was, as people started talking about rebuilding, we realized there was a loophole in the tax code that said if they rebuilt, they're going to have to pay a much higher tax rate. And some people decided that just wasn't fair. And so the bottom line is a journey was made to Springfield to talk to a subcommittee there of the House and Senate. And, um, and Mickey was invited to go. And she went to testify before this committee. And if you knew Mickey, she was just an incredible lady. She really was. She had a great reputation uh, both here in the community and in Springfield. And she began to share about that night and the destruction. Their home was a virtual loss, and it was torn down what was left standing. But I'll never forget her last line to that committee. As she stood there before these men, and I think it was all men. I don't think there were any women there. She says, all I know is this. I'm like Dorothy, and I want to go home. I'm like Dorothy, and I want to go home. She experienced the terrible power of a trister, and she just wanted to have a home to go back to. Perhaps you're here today. And perhaps as I described that twister metaphorically speaking, of, of character destroyed and marriages destroyed and, and the lies that Satan throws, maybe last week and maybe this week already you're going, you know, I just want to go home. And I want to spend the rest of our time together talking about how do you get there? How do you get there when, when, when life has dealt you this hand and it's your bad decisions perhaps? Certainly in the case of this young man, it was. And you want to get home. Well, you know how the movie does it. Boy, the movie's great. It, she hadn't figured it out to the end, but she gets at the end. And Glenda tells her and says, oh, you've got the answer all along. All you have to do is click the ruby slippers together three times and say, there's no place like home. And so she begins clicking her heels together. And the little ruby slippers there's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. And bam, she wakes up and it was all a dream. And she's home. And there's Annie M and Uncle Bob or whatever his name was. You know, how cool is that? But how in the reality of our lives, when we believe the lies of Satan, when whatever reason we chose to walk away from God and we find ourselves in a far country, how do we get home? 
That's the point today. That's the big question today. How do we get home? And my goodness, when Jesus tells this story, he does such a masterful job of it. We, we look now at verse number 17. And the Bible simply says this. And this is, this is essential to coming home. The Bible says, when he came to himself. You see, up there in, in, verse, number, in verse number 14 and 15, he began to be in want, but he didn't come to himself. He still thought he could figure it out. But, but in verse number 17, he realized he could not figure it out. That there was no solution in his bag of tricks that was going to enable him to get back home. That if he was going to get back home, it was going to have to be a power bigger than himself. And that's huge. He came and realized, you know what? Where I'm at is not good. And it's not going to get any better. It's not good. And it's not going to get any better. So he came to himself. And then it says, he says, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? He starts thinking about home. He starts thinking about, and it's funny, he doesn't think about how times he was angry at, at God or at dad, you know, God and dad are synonymous in this story. You know, how many times he was angry at his father because of the authority or whatever. He couldn't do what he wanted to do. He, he didn't even think about the, the mean older brother and his arrogance, the broken relationship that existed between them. He didn't even think about that. He just started thinking, I'm starving to death. And the hired servants in my father's house, my dad's house, have food and enough to spare. He changed his perspective of home. He he stopped believing the lie and started believing the truth. And the first way home is when you make a conscious decision to stop believing the lies of Satan. When you stop believing the things he's feeding to your ears and to your mind and to your heart. That if you just did this you would be happier. You start thinking of home. We um I was going to say we stumbled into a verse, but the truth is I knew about the verse, but we did talk about it, and I'm hopefully maybe next year going to go back and visit it again. But, but here's, here it kind of paints out. Listen, this is Psalm 8410. This is when you start thinking about home. Home wasn't as bad as you thought it was. The psalmist writes this. A single day in your courts... This is psalmist speaking. A single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. So, so the psalmist is saying, you know, when I weigh it out, I would rather be in the presence of God one single day than, than a thousand days anywhere else. Anywhere else. And to put it in our context, the younger son might say something like this. You know what? A day with dad is better than a thousand days feeding pigs. A day with dad is better than a thousand days in the far country. That's what has to happen. You have to begin thinking about the value of home and not the disdain of home. A day with dad back home is worth a thousand days. Here. And, and then he goes on and says this. The same psalmist says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the houses of the wicked. 
I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than, than to live in the midst in the houses of the wicked. Now, you understand to really get the power of this, the, in the scripture, the wicked represent all the opulence of the world, all the riches of the world. And he says, I would rather be the doorkeeper in the house of my God than have all the wealth. If there is any wealth in the far country, I would rather have, you know, be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than, than to have all that wealth. And then we talked, this is so good. And we talked about the fact, the, the other night, we talked about the fact that what he's saying is the doorkeeper was not a bad position. You know, we say bond servant, well, that's what it implies. It's like a slave. But a doorkeeper was still a position of authority. But the truth is, and this is the point of the scripture, it was right inside the door. Right inside the door. So he's saying, I would be, rather be right inside the door in the presence of God than living with all the opulence that the world has to offer in the midst of their tents. It's better to be just inside the door than in the midst, no matter what the opulence is. You know, right inside the door with God is better than being in the midst of all the opulence of the world. And the younger brother would put it this way. The younger son would put it this way. I would rather be a hired servant in my father's house than stay here and live like this. I would rather be a hired servant in my father's house than stay here and live like this. Hmm, he's ready to go home. So, in verse 18, he comes up with a plan. He says, I will arise and I will rise and go to my father. Now, in the Bible, we call this repentance. Because he starts realizing that if he's going to go home, he has to get up and leave. Isn't that profound? Aren't you glad you come to church here deep things like that? Have you realized you can't go home and stay where you are? Do you understand? You know, if, if you want a different result, you've got to do something different. Isn't that profound? Well, he says, I will arise and go to my father. He says, if I want to change, if I want to go home, I've got to do something different. And the thing I've got to do different is get off my duff feeding pigs and I've got to swallow my pride and I've got to go back to my dad. And you need to understand that. The first step with coming home with God is to get up and go. To get up and go. Now, you, you've seen this so many times, you can't count them on all your fingers and all your toes. But the truth is, the idea of repentance is to be going in this direction, and this being the lost of the far country, that way, and turn it around and going this way, which is back to Father. When he says, I will rise, he said, I'm going to quit in the far country, I'm going to leave the far country, I'm going to turn around and go back to my dad. And that's called repentance. And you can't stay where you are and go home. You can't do the same things and go home. You've got to be willing to turn. I will arise and go to my father. And I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. That's called confession. Let me tell you what that's not, in case you're wondering. That's not, hey God, I'm sorry. We spend way too much time telling God how sorry we are. And I remind you, he knows how sorry we are. That's why he sent Jesus, because we're a sorry bunch. And we needed a Savior. 
So if you want to go home, you've got to be willing to say to the Father, when you do get there, Father, I've sinned. What I did was wrong. It's not my wife's fault. It's not my husband's fault. It's not my mom's fault, my dad's fault, the youth pastor, the senior pastor, the worship leader. What I did is mine. I own it. I own it. Now, you can stay there where you are in the far country, okay? But it's not going to get better. So you've got to own your own actions. You've got to own your own actions. It's mine. It's mine. So I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I think it involves a dose of humility. Because he says, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He's going to say when he gets there, I, you know, I own this, God. It's not, it wasn't, I thought it was you. I thought it was your authority. I thought you were a little bit strict on me. I thought, you know, I want to go out on Friday night and you said no too many times. And so I left, you know, um, you know, it's, and you know, your husband, you know, well, you know, you drove me to the other woman. You know, it's all your fault, honey. Own it. And then, and then I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. You know what? By the way, you're not. Let me put your mind at ease. Not one person ever. I was going to say in this room, but let's get bigger. Not one person ever was worthy of God's forgiveness. Not one of you. I don't care how well you sing. I don't care how often you come to church. I don't care if you're a Baptist, Methodist, and Presbyterian all combined. I don't care. You cannot impress God with your performance. It ain't enough. It ain't enough. You are who you are. If, you are. if you are a child of God today, you're a child of God by His amazing grace, His unmerited favor, not because you, you're so good. This is so, this is so important, folks. We must never forget this truth. And the good news, if you're here and you've never experienced God's grace, you need to come home for the first time today. That's what's wonderful. You need to understand something. God doesn't care how bad you've messed up. You're saying God would never love me. He already loves you. He just longs to forgive you. In fact, what's the Bible say? For God so loved the world, the world, the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He didn't say, I love just the good ones. I love just the white ones. I love just the black ones. He said, I love these people. I love these people. And he loves you. If you need to come home for the first time, he loves you. And if you need to come home the second time, the third time, the fourth time, yeah, he loves you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And I don't know if it's just this translation. I don't think so. I think the intent of the scripture is clear. And his words were, make me like. Make me like. One of your hired servants. He, he even understood a great truth. That nothing ever stopped him from being a son. He wasn't worthy to be a son. But nothing could change the fact that his blood, his DNA, the father's DNA, flowed in his veins. I'm not worthy to be a son. So just make me like a hired servant. Let me live like a hired servant. Kind of reminds me of that song. Lord, just give me a cabin on the corner of glory land. Honey, you ain't got no cabin. You got a dwelling place in the presence of Almighty God. There ain't no little cabins in heaven. 
God ain't going to stick you in the far corner because of your performance. Your performance has been forgiven if you accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. Enjoy that. Enjoy that. All right. So, the Bible says in verse number 20, So, he arose. He arose. And came to his father. Now, this is what I call amazing number one. Amazing Number one, he came to his father. Now, now again, let me state something clearer so you'll get it. The reception, his reception, is our reception. What he experienced from the father is what we experienced from the father. So if you're here today and you have never confessed Christ as Savior, I don't know how to de-religionize this words. But the bottom line is, you have never asked God to forgive your sins, acknowledge your sin, and, and you know, had God forgive your sins by the cross. And today, if you were to say, do I just, you know, am I going to heaven? And the answer is, no, I wouldn't go. I deserve hell, and that's where I'm going. But today, if you're willing to repent, turn from your sin, and turn toward the Father, if you're willing to confess your sin to Him, acknowledging that you've sinned, and if you're willing to follow Jesus Christ, then this can be your reception the first time. God waits to welcome you into his family. He longs to call you son or daughter. He longs to call you sin or, or son or daughter. And I just love this. Again, he doesn't care about our skin color. He doesn't care about our social status. He doesn't care about our sin list because his grace is sufficient. It's all God. Always has been and always will be. It's all God. So if you need to come home the first time, this is your opportunity. But maybe you're here and you need to come home every time. You know, not that you lost your salvation, because again, remember, he said, he said, made me like when he, he didn't lose his sonship. He couldn't lose his sonship. The, the DNA was in him. We can't lose our salvation. But oh, can we lose our fellowship? Oh, can the fellowship be broken? Yes, it can. Yes, it can. So his reception will be your reception. If you wake up this morning and you go, wait a minute, this is me. I've been living in the far country. I've been living in the far country. There's a hunger for me to go home. I want it like it used to be. I want it like it used to be. Guess what? The reception he got is the reception you're going to get. Well, what kind of reception did he get? Well, let's look. But when he was still a great way off, he arose and came to his father. And this is amazing, number one. And when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him. He ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now, that's that's either a shoot that thing or holy moly. That, to me, is simply amazingly incredible. Can I have an amen? Now, you've got to understand, he did not go down to the local YMCA and take a shower and clean up. He's been with the pigs. He stinks to high heaven. He's dirty inside, and he's dirty outside. And the Bible says that the father, while he was still a great way off, The father wasn't in the den with his feet kicked up watching football. The father had a station, and the station was looking at the horizon, 
arising on the hope, on the hope that the sun would come home. There was no guarantee. There's no guarantee sinners will repent. There's no guarantee that wayward children will come home. Some of you know that from a physical aspect. But apparently, this father spent a whole lot of time out in the yard. And he was looking. And when he was a long way off, the father saw him and had compassion. Love in action. Compassion. Love in action. He ran and fell on his neck and kissed him again. Stinky, stinky, stinky. And God, the Father, wrapped his arms and kissed him and loved him. I want you to look me dead in the eye. I want to tell you something. Now, if you're a long way from the Father today, I know you're in church. Good job. But if you're a long way from, the God, from God today and you come home, he's going to throw his arms around you, and he's going to fall on your neck, and he's going to kiss you. Because he loves you. And he longs. Someone say longs. He longs for you to come home. He wants you to come home. In the Bible, here we go, verse 21. Here's the plan in action. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. And that needed to be said. Can I just tell you that? If you're going to come home, you need to be willing to tell the father, I have sinned. God, I have sinned against you. And it needed to be said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That needed to be said. It indicates true repentance, true humility that he's willing to. To say this. But you notice what? If you've already looked ahead at verse 22, you don't see the hired servant thing going on. It never got there. I, I wrote down and said, you know, it's funny. Between, between verse number, um, hang on a second, verse number 21 and verse number 22, there are no words. <laughs> there were no lectures, there were no sermons. There was no finger pointing. I told you not to go. Do you see the absence of that? I like it that God didn't preach a sermon. He instead did love in action. You better better hang on to that one. If you don't need it today, you're going to need it someday. Because we sure like to preach them sermons to people, don't we? I knew he couldn't keep it up. I knew he was going to fall. I had my eye on him. And I knew his marriage wasn't going to make it. I tried to tell him and he wouldn't listen to me. They try to come back to church and we kick him out the door. You're not worthy to be one of us. I want to keep putting on the sign out there. If you're a sinner, welcome home. There's a bunch of us here. A bunch of us here. Yeah. 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 Well, the Bible says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated, he didn't preach it, but God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God knew this was not the time for a sermon. It was time for action. Just like that. He didn't say, y'all need to turn from your sin and repent. 
Rather, he sent his son Jesus to die on a Roman cross to do something that we could not do, and that's pay for our sins. Action trumps words. Action trumps words. God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How about that? Is that not good? Come on, is that not good? So, so, so the father said, now, there's words, but there's not a lecture, there's not a sermon. Finally, the father said to his servants, you've got to love, don't, don't gloss over this. The father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, and sandals on his feet. Now, I trust me on this one. When Jesus made this story up, these were not arbitrary thoughts. They are purposeful. Purposeful. The best robe was the robe withheld for the guest of honor. The guest of honor. Have you figured it out yet? That when the Bible says, when a sinner comes home, there's rejoicing in heaven. Did you know that? The guest of honor at the party is the wayward kid who came home. He's not in the kitchen washing dishes. He's not bussing tables. The father said, get the best robe because my younger son, the one who went away and now has come back, he's the guest of honor. Did I not make that clear? Do we need to camp there for another 20 minutes? Just a threat, just a threat. Put on the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Now, rings say things. This is um, my wedding band. It was also my father's wedding band. Isn't that cool? This wedding band has about 76 years of marriage behind it. And I wear this, and what it says is, even though it doesn't speak, it says that I belong to somebody. And my somebody specifically sits on the front row, and her name is Judy. But when you see this ring on my left hand, I'm saying I'm not on the market. I've been taken. I belong to someone. Well, when the story says put a ring on his finger, it's not even up for debate. This was not just a piece of jewelry. It is the father's signet ring. It's the ring of authority. So, first the father says, go get the best robe. Get the very best robe because this wayward son, we're going to have a party, and he is the guest of honor. He is the guest of honor. Then, go get my signet ring, the one that says, whoever has this ring on has my authority and power. And put that on his finger. Wow. And then, he says, put sandals on his feet. I suppose you figured out that they didn't have shoes like we did, but they had sandals, and, and the, the poor didn't have sandals, and slaves didn't have sandals. The poor, generally speaking, went barefoot. Slaves always went barefoot. And when he's saying, get him shoes, he's saying, this boy, this boy is not a bond servant. This boy is not a slave. He's my son. He's my son. So when the father speaks, he says, one, we have a guest of honor, and it's the younger brother. 
We have a ring because he's been restored and now he has my authority and speaks for me. And he's not a slave or a bondservant. He is my son. And I will remind you again, the reception that he got is what we get. When you come home, if you're in a distant country, if, you're, if you've never, for the first time, if you've never been in the family, you are lost today, but you're saying, this makes sense to me. There's a God who loves me, sent his son Jesus Christ to die for me. And Dwayne, you're telling me that if I ask him to forgive my sins and turn from my sin, he will forgive me and bring me into the family. I want you to know something. At that party, you're the guest of honor. We're going to celebrate and so is heaven. Because the Bible says so. The Bible says, so you're going to be the guest of honor. And guess what? You don't have to wait. You don't have to go to Sunday school nine weeks in a row. He's going to give you authority to speak in his name. You have the authority to go out and say, I want to tell you what Jesus did for me. I want to tell you what God's done for me. And and you know what? I'm a son. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. I'm a child of God. He calls me friend. Come on, shoot that thing. Shoot that thing. See the problem, you only know the problem with the church? We don't believe of who we are. We want to be who we think we are. Defeated. Defeated. Disappointed. Discouraged. Always failed, half failed, will never be nothing but a failure. You are a blood-balled child of God, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. That's who you are. Get the robe. Get the ring. And get the shoes. And by the way, tell the kitchen to get ready with a fatty calf and kill it. They kept the calf. They they kept one in the feedlot getting it fat just in case the occasion came up. Just in case the occasion came up for a celebration. And they said, go get that one we've been fattening up just in case. Because the just in case is now. Is now. Get, get, Get the fatty calf and kill it. And let's eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, and he is found. And they began to be merry. The reception that he received is the reception you'll receive when you come home. Now, warning, the liar will lie to you. Someone right now, perhaps, is going, you know, I need to come home. And you're hearing this little voice, and it's going, God doesn't want you. You you know what you did. (laughs) No one else knows what you're doing right now, but God does, and he wouldn't want one like you. Yes, he would. (laughs) Yes, he does. (laughs) That's what grace is all about. That's what grace is all about. If you're willing to come home, he's going to get out that robe. He's going to get out that ring. He's going to get them shoes out. And there's going to be a party. So if you're here today, if you're here today, and you need to come home for the first time, it's obvious. You may have gone to church a few times, and boy, you found out that didn't work, and I'm with you, man. Church, religion doesn't work, and church doesn't work. You know, church is good for a little while, but without something happening on the inside, it just doesn't last. But today you're here, and you understood for the first time that God did so love the world 
that He did give His only begotten Son, and that the whosoever, and that's you, that's you, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, could have everlasting life. That's you. That's you. And maybe it's obvious to you today. Come home. Come home. I'll be standing down front this morning, and we'll have some friends here that would love to talk with you and pray. We try to answer your questions. Won't cram Jesus down your throat. Won't twist your arm. But if you want to know how to come home and help coming home, just take me by the hand and say, Hey, Brother Dwayne, I want to know how I can come home for the first time. I liked what you said about Jesus dying for me and loving me. And we'll answer every question we can and point you toward home. Maybe it's not so obvious. And this is the scary part. Maybe you're here today and you're just not sure where you are. Did you know that's possible? It really is. You know, there's a scripture, Isaiah 36, 16. I'll just kind of halfway quote it to you. Actually, I won't even quote it. I'm going to paraphrase it. You know, you know the, the king of Assyria has surrounded Jerusalem. And they're out there having these negotiations outside the wall. And it's funny because the leaders come out and they say, now listen, don't speak to us in Hebrew because they understand that, speaking to us in some other language. And the, and the negotiator said, oh no, we want the people to hear. So they start howling, hey y'all, we know you're in there. Hey, why don't you open up the gates? This is what the king of Syria says. Open up the gates. Go ahead and eat from your vineyard and drink from your well. Go ahead and do all that. And in a little while, I'll take you to a land like yours. I'll take you to a land, not your land, like yours. And that's the scary part. Sometimes that far country looks a whole lot like home, but it's not. See, religion can look a whole lot like God, and believe me, they're not the same. And you could be sitting here week in and week out and be as faithful as a ticking clock and still be in the far country. If you want somebody to pray with you about that, say, I just, you know what, I, I sense something's not right in my life, but I just can't put my finger on it. You may read your Bible every day, but something's not right. It could be that you're in a far country that looks too much like home. Why not come and let us pray with you about it and say, God, I need clarity. I need, is there something in my life that's causing us to be separated? And by the way, the reception for you will be, his reception will be your reception. You'll be the guest of honor. God wants every one of his children to come home from the far country. And God wants everyone who's never trusted Christ way out in a far country to come home. Would you bow your heads with me, please? How about it? How about it? If you're here today... And you've never, never put your faith. You, you may have heard who Jesus is. You heard it in Sunday school. But you've never trusted him for your salvation. You thought you could perform your way. You, 
got a good dose of religion, you got a good church, you know, dose of church, but you never got a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Why not come home? Or maybe perhaps you are a child of God and you know it. But you also know in that secret room in your heart that there's a far country and you're living there. You look pretty good on the outside. On the inside, there's something wrong. And it could be that you're living in a far country. Why not come? Let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. Let's find out. God wants us living this abundant life. Jesus said, you know, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that may have life and have it more abundantly. And you will never find abundant life in the far country. Never. Never. Dorothy could never find happiness in Oz. She only found happiness at home. God, thank you so much for the privilege of sharing today. I am overwhelmed with your love. I am overwhelmed with your love. I pray others will be also. I pray for my friend here today who so desperately needs forgiveness. I pray that something that was said today, Holy Spirit will use that to draw that man, woman, or child home to you. For us, Father, and I do mean us, who know you, Jesus, as Savior. But we've wandered into a far country. And it takes, and it takes, and it takes. We've lost our joy. We've lost our character. We've lost our testimony. We're on the verge of losing our marriage and our family. Help us to come home today. And Jesus, we pray this in your precious name. Amen.